Father, I pray this morning that you would give us, by your grace, hearts receptive to your word, hearts receptive to the moving of your Holy Spirit among us in this worship service, hearts receptive to long for holiness, to cry out for holiness, to pursue holiness. And so, Lord Jesus, we come to give you honor and glory. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you come, speak into our hearts, come change and transform us from one degree of glory to another. So we make our prayer, come Holy Spirit. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. Well, we're nearing the end of our study in the book of Exodus that we started last fall. We're actually going to wrap everything up next Sunday. But as we get toward the end of the book of Exodus, we find in chapter 32 that the plot thickens. (laughs) There is a turn that if you haven't read up to that, you're not really expecting what's going to happen, and it's a bit shocking. It's shocking because in the midst of divine rescue... In the midst of God's protection and provision over the Israelites, bringing them out of slavery in Egypt, bringing them now into this land where, where, where they're at the base of Mount Sinai, God revealing his love to them in the Ten Commandments, this covenant that he made with them, in a sense saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. God's loving grace abounded to them. In the midst of all that, We find in this scene, Moses is up on Mount Sinai with God, and he's been there for 40 days. Now, the people down in the camp began to get restless. Where's this leader who you led us out of, who led us out of Egypt? And what we find that they did is they fashioned this, this idol. They made this golden calf and traded the worship of God for the worship of this man-made image of gold. Now, I read this chapter that Dustin read part of the chapter for us, and I wish I could say this morning that I can't relate to this story. (laughs) I wish I couldn't. (laughs) I wish I could say that I would never do what the Israelites did that day. I wish I could say that, that having been rescued from my sins, knowing the grace of God, that I would never turn from anything else, turn to anything else away from God. But friends, in full disclosure, i got to tell you, I know my heart all too well this morning and frankly every day. The reality is this sin in, in Exodus chapter 32, this sin of, I would say, epic proportion, when they truly turned away from the graciousness of God, that sin they committed that day is no different than the sins that you and I commit every day. That's the reality check for us as we come in this morning. The story we're going to look at in Exodus 32, it's a story about idolatry. It's a story about the human heart, but it's also a story that we'll find at the end about the gracious mercy of our God. So there's two things I want to do as we unpack these verses in Exodus 32, 1 to 14. First is this, what does this passage show us about the idolatrous nature of our heart? we're going to look at. And then the second thing we're going to do is we're going to see, in in light of what we just seen, how do we break free? How do we let go of those idols that we are so inclined to worship? So let's dive in. What does this passage show us about the idolatrous nature of all of our hearts? Well, we see it in 
Exodus 32, verse 1. We read, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said, up, make us gods who shall go before us. In the context of what's going on, and God had just given his law to them, God had just shown them how much he loved them, we see how quickly it is for us to turn away from our trust and dependence on God and turn to something else that we think is ultimately going to meet our need. You know, last week I said, and I think I said it the, the weeks ahead, one of the grand narratives of the scriptures from beginning to end is the grace of God. Well, there's another narrative that we've got to look at as well and that we're going to see this morning. One of the other narratives from the very beginning to the very end speaks about the idolatrous nature of the human heart. The Apostle Paul picks this up in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 25. Listen to what he describes about um, how inclined our hearts are to turn away from the living God to something else. Here's what he wrote. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts in their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Did you hear that? That's a weighty passage, but it's a passage we need to open our eyes to and see what Paul is talking about here. What we need to see about our hearts is that we are so inclined to give glory to the wrong thing. We're so inclined to find something that's created to give glory in our worship to, and we forget that our calling as followers of Jesus is to give glory to the one true God. Now, one of the things I want to say, and you'll, you'll see this woven throughout, the problem is not the stuff that we go and give our glory to here. That's not the problem. The problem is our heart. So we don't go blame those other things. We need to look and unpack what's in our hearts, those things that we have given value and worth to beyond what they were ever created to receive. Now, I want to say this, even as we wind up our study in, in, the, in the book of Exodus, I want to remind you that their story, the story we've been reading about, is our story as well. We too, like the Israelites, are so inclined to turn away from the one true God and give our worship to something or someone else. As I've thought about it, I've realized it comes down to an issue of trust. Now, think about this. <laughs> Questions that we need to be asking ourselves. Do I really trust God? Do I really trust him? Do I really trust that God is enough? Or do I need to come and think that I attach something else, then I'll have enough? Do I really trust in the goodness of God? Do I really trust that God will meet every need that he knows I have? You see, instead of turning to and trusting in and resting in the one true God, the Israelites turned quickly and they put their trust in something else. They put their trust in an idol that they created with their own hands. Now, let me give you a definition of what an idol is. 
An idol is anything that we believe we need apart from Jesus to make us happy and content and satisfied. Let me say that again. An idol is anything that we believe we need apart from Jesus to make us happy, content, and satisfied. David Pallison, who was a Christian counselor, wrote an article a number of years ago called Idolatry, Idols of the Heart and Vanity Fair. And he posed this question for us to think about. Has something besides Jesus Christ taken title to your heart's trust, preoccupation, loyalty, service, fear, and delight? I love that question. It's a stirring question. It's actually a very convicting question. Has something besides Jesus taken title to your heart? How do we know that we've made an idol out of something? Let me tell you how we know. We commit idolatry when we take a good thing and we make it an ultimate thing. Think about it that way. We take a good thing and we make it an ultimate thing. Let me give you a couple of fill-in-the-blank statements. Think about this to yourself. If I just had fill-in-the-blank, then my life would have value, my life would be complete, and I'd be fully satisfied. What would you fill in the blank? If I just had, boom. wonder what you would fill in that blank. Or if I lost, fill in the blank, my life would become undone. Now take some time later today and see what things that you fill those blanks in with. You see, an idol is something in a sense that, that, that we can't picture life without. I wonder what that is for you. Let me give you an example or a few examples of things that I think we tend to make idols of. And now remember, idols are good things most of the time, but that we make ultimate things of. One of them are kids, our children. Kids are good, and we're to love them well. Yet they can become an idol in our lives when we place our happiness and our identity and their accomplishments and success. Think about that if you're a parent. (laughs) Have you ever fallen into that trap? Maybe in their athletic abilities or their academic uh, excellence. You see, we are tempted as parents to live vicariously through our kids' success and accomplishments. And we say, what they have done, yeah, that makes me, look what I've done, really. And we've just made them an idol in our lives. Well, take work, for example. Work is a good thing. We were created to work. But when work takes that place that it was never meant to have, that's higher place in our lives, when we place our identity and our vocation, whatever it might be, whatever title you might have, we've just made it an idol. When through our work, through our vocation, we are trying to get identity from. You see, when work becomes an idol, do you know what we do? We sacrifice our marriages We sacrifice our families. What what I want you to see in this is the the danger, one of the great dangers and and idols that we take on in our lives is we think they're going to bring us life, but friends, they end up destroying us. How many people do you know whose marriages have been destroyed because one of the spouses have poured their lives into their vocation? thinking that was going to give them what they desired and longed for, the security and safety of money and all of that, all of a sudden to find it got them 
and they were giving more worth and value to something that was never meant to have. Let me give you another one, two more. People. (laughs) Maybe you never thought about people being idols, but think about it in this light. When we fear what people think of us, when we work for the approval of, of others, we've just made that person an ultimate thing that we cannot live without. We've just made them an idol. And the result is this. We end up creating an image that we want others to see in our lives. And all they end up seeing is this image that we've built, this this facade, and we end up living behind a mask. Yeah, yeah, y'all are wearing them. (laughs) But, But you tell me, is there freedom living behind a mask? No. Friends, that's bondage, that's slavery. When we live that kind of life, living for the approval of others, fearing what other people think about us. You see, idols take us back to slavery, not freedom. That's one of the things we need to see today. But let me give you one more example of something that we we turn into an idol, and it's money. Now, I meant to bring a, a dollar bill or a $20 bill, but I don't usually carry them in my wallet, but picture that I had one holding up before you. You know, it's interesting that Jesus in the Gospels talked more about money than anything else. Money is one of those things for many of us that has become an idol, and a lot of us don't even realize that it has. But I want you to think about this. Is there life in a dollar bill? Is there life in a piece of paper? I mean, think about it. How can a piece of paper give you life? How can it tell you who you really are? But friends, I can tell you the reality for many of us, and it doesn't matter how much money you have or how little money you have. Money can be a strong idol in our hearts. You see, when we buy into the lie that it gives us identity and value and worth, we've just become captive to it. You know, one of the biggest conflicts in marriage Two, the two top conflicts in marriage, sex and money. And I think about money in that way, and I think about the, the, the idolatrous nature of our hearts that we allow something like that, a dead piece of paper, to get in the way of a relationship that is to be cherished above all others. So are you beginning to get a picture of idolatry that we take good things and we make them ultimate things? See, the great danger is this. When we give people or things power and authority over our lives, they will always fail us. And they'll always lead us back into slavery. Look at verse 8 in Exodus 32. We read this. They've turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. This is God speaking. They've made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it. And said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Look what an idol does. Look what it did to them. They said, these are the gods who brought us out of Egypt. Now, while we don't tend to name it this way, what we're really doing when we turn to things and people is we're trying to turn them into personal messiahs. That's what we're really doing. We're hoping that someone or something will give us what we ultimately are longing for. We begin to think that they actually save us, don't we? But friends, we need to open our eyes 
to those idols in all of our lives to see, you know what, they're they're really not going to save me. They can never forgive you like you need to be forgiven. They can never forgive me like I need to be forgiven. They can never tell us who we really are. You see, one of our greatest problems is not the stuff. It's not the people or the things, but it's the worth that we give to them. Do you see that? That's the danger of what we see in these idolatrous hearts that we have. I was reading in, in 2 Corinthians last week, and, and it was reading 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and it just, just a light bulb came on as I read this passage. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul is writing about the power of the gospel, the power uh, of Jesus coming to save us and set us free. But he notes in there that there have, some have become blind to this good news. Here's what he wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And here's the connection I want to make. Just as Satan, the God of this world, blinded the eyes of unbelievers from seeing the glory of God, I believe that idols do the same thing for those of us who believe. See, here's what I want you to hear. When we give ourselves to worshiping idols, we are allowing the lesser glory of the created to overshadow the ultimate glory of Jesus. Let me say that again. When we give ourselves to worshiping idols, we're allowing the lesser glory of the created to overshadow the ultimate glory of Jesus. And when we do that, we become blind to the glory of Jesus because we have placed something else before him. That's the danger of idolatry. So let me ask you this question. How have you allowed the lesser glory of what you have around you to overshadow the greater glory of Jesus? How have you allowed the lesser glory of what you have around you, all the stuff, to overshadow the greater glory of Jesus? Friends, this, is a, this chapter is an incredible chapter that shows the reality of the brokenness of our idolatrous hearts. That's what we see, but there's got to be a hope for us, Right? How do we break free? How do we, how do we let go of those idols and the hold and the chains that they have on our lives? That's what I want to wrap up with. How do we break free? We first see this. Sin problems are always worship problems. It all comes back to worship, doesn't it? You see, when we make an idol out of something or someone, we are giving worth to it beyond what it was meant to have. Here's the key. Only when you and I break free, or the only way that we can break free from an idol in our lives is when we become captivated, when we become ravished by something or someone greater, and that someone is the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know what's going to break the hold of that idol in your life? It's going to be coming when you become more and more captivated, more and more ravished by the love and the grace and the forgiveness, the saving work of Jesus in your life. Friends, I'm convinced of this. What we need is not just mere knowledge about God. Most of us in this room and watching have a lot of knowledge about God. What you and I need is an encounter, an experience with the living God 
who forgives, who's merciful, who never stops showing grace upon grace to broken sinners like you and me. That's what we need. The gospel shining right before our eyes every day. Let me take you toward the end of the passage in Exodus 32, verses 9 and 10, and then verse 14. We see God's response to their rebellion. And the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn against them, that I may consume them in order that I may make of you a great nation. So God is like, my wrath is coming upon you. Well, Moses intervenes. Moses intercedes for the people and pleads to God on behalf of his mercy because Moses knew God was a God of mercy. And here's what Moses, Moses spoke to him. I won't read all the words, but here's what we read in verse 14. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. God relented and he did not destroy them all. Yes, there were consequences. Read on the rest of the chapter. People died. There was a plague. There were consequences. But God did not utterly destroy his people. You see, what God did is he gave them mercy that they did not deserve. And friends, that's called grace. Do you see that? In the midst of their idolatrous hearts, God gave them a mercy they did not deserve, and that is called grace. Friends, what you and I need is is the beauty of God to become more and more captivating to us. So let me tell you how I believe we lean into that. First, as I would say this, is that we make our gathering together in worship, or for those who are online watching, that you make that a number one commitment in your life, to come and worship whether you're here or you're at home. Every part of our worship service, friends, is designed to show us the glory and majesty of our God. We are not coming in here to just sit and be entertained. We are coming in here to be captivated by the glory of the one true God, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who has brought redemption for you and me. Everything we do in here on a Sunday morning highlights the glory of Jesus Friends, if we're not giving ourselves to being captivated by him in this way, we are going to fall into the trap every day of elevating other things to a greater glory than the glory of God. What we need is not just gathering together in worship, but I believe it's drawing near to the scriptures. And I was thinking about this, and I know myself well enough that if I'm not in God's word regularly, if I'm not in his word daily, you know what's going to happen? I'm going, to be more, I'm going to become more captivated by the things around me. I wonder if that's true for you too. When I do those gut checks during the day and find all the things that, I've, that have preoccupied my mind, all the things that I want or I've done, I become more captivated by those than the living God. So here's some practical things that I want to end with. How do we become more captivated by the Lord Jesus? coming and worshiping together. But it's also noting every day how you have seen God provide in a tangible way. What would it be like if at the end of the day you took a few minutes, maybe even you wrote it down, God, here are ways that I saw you tangibly provide for me in this day. Friends, also when we receive and relish in the grace that God extends to us every day, I wonder if you're aware of it. You know it's there. 
It's there. Maybe we need to come in the morning with anticipation of encountering God's grace in the moments throughout the day. I would say every day, spend time reflecting on the forgiveness that God's given you. He gives it every day, you know. But I think for some of us, we become so captivated by other things, we run through our day and we fail to realize those moments where we needed to repent and receive the grace of our Savior. I would say meditate daily upon the depths of God's love for you, how he's been patient with you, the sacrifice that he's made for you. The list could go on and on. Do you see my point? It's all about having the Lord Jesus front and center before our eyes. And when we do, we will find our hearts captivated by him. And so I believe the call for us this morning is this, to not be ashamed at our idolatrous hearts, but to come and bring them to the God who actually knows what to do with them. The God who exposes, who reveals, who sees, who welcomes us to repent and showers us with his grace and mercy. And as we lean into him in this way, we find that when we become more and more captivated by him, all those other things begin to take their proper place in our lives. The proper place, not the elevated place. So I want to encourage you. <laughs> take time to lean into in this week ahead. You know, we're about to start the season of Lent. <laughs> what a great time to really pull back and, and reflect on all those different idols. Don't be ashamed to bring them to Jesus. He wants us to because he wants to set you free. Amen? So, Father, would you help us lean into this? It is tough and it is challenging for us to truly be honest because what we see we so often are ashamed of in our hearts. But, God, we've already seen in this service you know everything. Our hearts are open to you. So lead us to be a people who come with open hearts, who receive your forgiveness, who relish in your grace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.